This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Amen. So if you are new today, we have been walking through the gospel of Luke And we've been focused especially on passages that are only found in the Gospel of Luke. And today we come to a classic not only in Luke but in all of literature throughout history. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to look this morning at verses 11 through 32, commonly called the parable of the the prodigal son, but we're going to see this morning there are two sons, both of whom are lost, and there is a father of grace beyond compare. Luke chapter 15 and verses 11 through 32 really tells us the way home. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as we look at this together. He also said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while his son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you. And I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. 
son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes now to, to see wondrous things in your instruction. And Lord, help us to see ourselves here because we are all here. We've been younger sons, we've been older sons. And you have always been a father who was full of grace and full of compassion. Lord, would you open our eyes to, to come to our senses, to repent of sin in our lives. Lord, to, to repent if we have been far from you. Lord, give us the grace to come home. But Lord, if, if, we've, been, if we've been in the house, but our heart has been far from you, Lord, would you give us the grace to repent? And so, Lord, would you work in our hearts now? Would you, would you open our hearts, open our eyes, and, Lord, deal with us in the power of your Spirit today, each of us? And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. A British newspaper uh, once uh, sent out uh, a question to its readers and the question in this newspaper to the readers was, dear reader, what's wrong with the world? And the great writer G.K. Chesterton read that and he responded to the question, dear reader, what's wrong with the world with this response? Dear sirs, I am. <laughs> Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Well. You see, Chesterton understood as a Christian that the real problem in the world is sin within the human heart and that we are all sinners in need of a savior. That is not the way the religious leaders that Jesus was addressing thought of themselves. And we know that's not how they thought of themselves because in chapter 18 and verse 9, which we'll look at in a few weeks, it tells us exactly how they thought of themselves. It says they, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. And they also looked down on Jesus for reaching out to the lost. And that is what brings forth the three parables that we see in Luke 15. Last week we looked at the first two, the lost sheep and the lost coin. And today we're gonna to look at the lost son. But I want us to go back to the beginning of chapter 15 because it's here that we see the context. There is something that happens that brings forth all three of these parables that Jesus tells back to back to back. And we see the context, we see what prompts these three parables. In chapter 15 and verses 1 and 2, it says, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And we talked about last week, the tax collectors and sinners, this is Luke's way of talking about people who were far from God, the outsiders. But for some strange, they were drawn to Jesus. 
and they were listening to him. And we talked about the fact that word listen or hear, when you see that in the Bible, it doesn't just mean that you know, you're taking in information. It means that lives were being changed. People were being transformed. These people who have been far from God, far outside the family of God, they were coming to Jesus and their lives were being transformed. But those who were on the inside, the Pharisees and scribes, what was their reaction to this? We see it in verse two. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And in response to their complaint, Jesus tells these three parables back to back to back. Last week, we looked at the lost sheep and the lost coin, and we saw this pattern. Something of value was lost. What was lost was found, and then there was a great celebration. And we're going to see that threefold pattern again today, except for what is lost is not a sheep or a coin, it's a son. So what do we see here? First of all, we see something about leaving home. Leaving home in verses 11 through 16. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. He, said, he also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Now this request on the part of the younger son was absolutely outrageous. This is outrageous dishonor and disrespect. He's basically saying to the father, I wish you were dead. Instead of waiting for his, his, his inheritance until the father's death, he wants it now. He said, I wish you were dead, but since you're not, give it to me now so I can leave town and get out of here, get away from you as fast as I can. And in this honor-shame culture, you know, this father could have responded to disrespect like that basically by disowning the younger son, even having a funeral for him. But this broken-hearted father actually grants his request. Now we see here emerging already a picture of God's love for us, the father's heart. Because how many times have we broken his heart? How many times in our rebellion and sin have we grieved the heart of God? And yet our father gives to us the most precious thing that he could ever give. He gives his son and a thousand other continued mercies in our lives. Look at verse 13. It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. That term, gathered together, means that he took all of the assets that he had been given and converted them into cash. And he leaves home as fast as he can. And he spends the cash just as fast. It says here that he, that he squandered it. The, the word here that comes from kind of the world of, of winnowing during the wheat harvest where they would, they would throw the, the grain up in the air and the chaff would just be blown away. It's basically saying here, the younger son just took what he'd been given and threw it away. 
Now this points to just the irrationality and the absurdity of sin. The younger son had no purpose, no plan, other than just indulging his lust in the moment. Sin is, it it causes us to do irrational things, absurd things. We need to understand that when we are in sin, we are acting against our own joy. We're doing things that are going to ultimately bring pain into our lives. And not only bring in pain, but cause us to miss out on so many good things. I've seen so many people do this. I mean, to just throw away the most precious things in life. Their families, for instance, just to indulge their lust in the moment. It's absurd. It is irrational. But this is what sin does. It, It makes us crazy. We're beside ourselves. Verses 14 and 15. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Bear in mind, this is a Jewish boy who's never had anything to do with pigs. And now the pigs are living better than him. Verse 16. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. His life has become an utter train wreck. But sometimes in the gracious providence of God, we have to crash before we come to our senses. And this is what happens. Let's talk about coming home. Coming home. Verses 17 through 20. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than, more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. Notice here in verse 17, the beginning of verse 17, the phrase, when he came to his senses. Literally, it says he came to himself. When he was in sin, he was beside himself. Now he comes to himself. This is what repentance looks like. In repentance, the spirit of God touches us and we begin to see reality for what it is. We have clarity. Our eyes are open to see the truth. In repentance, the Spirit changes our minds. He changes our minds about a couple of things. First of all, in repentance, the Spirit changes our minds about our sin. And we begin to understand, my sin's not okay anymore. And we begin to mourn our sin and grieve our sin. Second, in repentance, the Spirit changes our minds about the Savior. And we begin to see that Jesus truly is our only hope, that the finished work of Christ, that his death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead, is our only hope. Now, there's a big difference between mere regret and repentance. If the story ended 
after verse 17, then we may say that, you know, he only had regret. Look at verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how, ma- how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger? If the story ended there, we could say, well, he just feels sorry because he's made a mess of his life. But the story doesn't end there. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. In repentance, we understand, we come to be convicted of our sin, our sin against other people, and ultimately against God. And that's what's happened here. This is genuine repentance. And verse 20 is also key. Listen, I never saw this to this degree until as many times as I've studied this text until this week. I just saw this afresh and anew. The key phrase here at the beginning of verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. You see, in repentance, there's a change of mind. The spirit brings a change of mind that leads to a change in action. It begins in the mind, but it, it works in our feet. <laughs> he, he arises and goes to his father. He takes action. When there is genuine repentance, we take action. It's the difference between you know, sitting around feeling sick and saying, I'm going to go to the doctor. <laughs> you know, Real repentance is not just kind of sitting around and, 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 and just feeling sick and tired. In real repentance, you do something about it. Maybe you're dealing with like a habitual sin or an addiction today. There's a difference between saying, I, I hate where I'm at right now in life and taking the steps to do something about it and saying, I'm going to get help. I'm going to rearrange my life and all the structures and the habits of my life and I'm gonna go help others to hold me accountable and seek help. There's a difference in your marriage between saying, well, you know, I, I feel, we feel stuck in our marriage and taking action to get unstuck. Taking the action to, you know, to call up a counselor and someone who can speak into your life and going and staying with it until you, you are unstuck. He, he arose and he went to his father. He got up and went. There's an action. And real repentance. It's not just kind of you know, feeling sorry, wallowing in it. No, we take action. We move. We don't remain where we are as we are. Coming home. Third, welcome home. Welcome home. Verse 20, again. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. What does this tell us? This father was looking down the road. You see, he he was heartbroken but hopeful. He had been praying for his son and was hopeful for his return. And maybe there is a loved one in your life. Could be a child or a grandchild or another loved one who is far from God. 
do not quit praying for them. Your heart may be broken, but do not give up hope. God can do things in their lives. God can turn a heart in an instant. He can do in a heart what we cannot do. And so intercede, pray. Pray for God's sovereign power to be brought to bear in their lives. Only he can do it. Your part is to pray for them and continue to love them. That doesn't mean that you have to condone their sin or enable their sin. But you continue to love. Keep the lines of communication open to the extent that you can. And and do not cease to pray. Pray with hope. Cry out to God for them. Look at the reaction of this father when he, when, he sees his, when he sees his son. Again in verse 20, while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. From the deepest part of himself, compassion. Do you have compassion for lost people? For people who are far from God? Is that what you feel when you think about them? Do you have compassion for them? Listen, it's easy just to be angry with them. I mean, this father, if anybody had a right to be angry, it was this dad. It's easy sometimes just to feel angry with them or disgusted by them. But this father obviously understands something about the grace of God for all of us sinners. And so therefore he's able to treat his wayward son with grace. He doesn't wait for him to come grovel. No, he runs to him. (laughs) Something that wealthy Middle Eastern patriarchs like this man would never do. (laughs) You know, running was for children, not guys like this. He doesn't care. You know, he hitches up his robes, shows his bare legs, and just runs. And literally the text says that he fell on his neck. Just fell, this is not a bro hug. (laughs) Just he falls on his neck and he's weeping and kissing his son. The son doesn't even know how to react at first. He begins to go into his prepared speech. (laughs) His father cuts him off and calls for celebration. Look at verses 21 through 24. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. This is amazing. What are the last words that the son gets out before the father cuts him off in verse 21? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father immediately calls for three symbols of sonship to be brought out. First of all, the robe. This is an ornate robe that was reserved for the most special of occasions. No one would wear this robe except for someone who is in the family. What has Jesus done for us? 
Jesus allowed himself to be stripped of his robe and beaten within an inch of his life and to be crucified on a cross for our sins and raised from the dead so that we could be clothed with the robes of his perfect righteousness as his sons and daughters. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then he says to bring out the ring. This ring was the signet ring that would have the family seal, the family crest on the ring. Nobody wore this ring unless they were in the family. We are in the family if we are in Christ. John 1.12 says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. And then he says, bring the sandals. On a state like this, the slaves did not wear sandals. Only members of the family did. Galatians 4.7 says, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. This is your identity in Christ. Sons and daughters of God, heirs in the family. There's a nobility about our lives. And we, we should, that should govern the way that we think of ourselves and the way that we act. You belong to the king. You are his child. There's a dignity, a nobility about our lives because we belong to him. And this should make sin all the more repugnant to us. And then he says, bring out the fattened calf. This was a special animal that wealthy families like this would have that was grain-fed, and it was the choicest veal. It was reserved for the most special of occasions. The father here is saying, spare no expense. Spare no expense. We are having a community banquet, a feast, a celebration. Now, do you see how this parable goes with the two that we looked at last week? What happens in the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin? They find find what is lost and they call people together for a celebration. And this is the mark of a New Testament church. This is a mark of when we're walking with God. We rejoice when the lost are found. There's joy when people come to Christ. Note how graphic the father's language is here about his, his son. It says he was, he was dead and is alive again. That's your story too if you were in Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 2 in verses 1 through 5, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked, According to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive 
with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. Praise God. This is our story. Lost but found, dead but alive. But now the story takes the final turn because it's here that we learn there were not, there was not just one lost son. No, there were two lost sons. One of them left home. One was always home, but he was never at home. That's the fourth thing that we see here. Always home, but never home. Let's look at verses 25 through 27. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him. And your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now, the only appropriate response at this point is joy. I mean, the older brother had seen the suffering of his father. He had seen how his dad was suffering while the younger son was away. And just knowing that his father would be smiling and happy again, I mean, that should have been enough for him to be happy. Not to mention the fact that he should have been happy himself to have his brother back. But that was not the reaction. Verse 28 says, Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Listen, for him to refuse, in this culture, to refuse to go into a banquet that his father was holding is outrageous disrespect. It's basically a vote of no confidence in his dad. This is crazy dishonor on his part to refuse to go in. And then for his father to have to come out, to have to leave his own banquet that he's hosting, to have to come out to the older son. And do you see the irony of this? (laughs) The older son has made himself an outsider. (laughs) He was the insider. For all those years, he never left. But now, he's making himself an outsider. He's outside the house. He's making himself an outsider. This is exactly what is happening in the ministry of Jesus people who had been far from God, the outcasts, the outsiders, Gentiles, Samaritans, the lowly, people who had been far outside are coming in. They're coming in. Their lives are being changed. Whereas the insiders, the scribes and the Pharisees, the people who were the most inside, who had been the most inside, they're they're, they're, they're making themselves into outsiders by their refusal to rejoice that the lost are being found and their rejection of the ministry of Jesus. But look at the tenderness that this father displays to his older son. 
It says his father came out and pleaded with him. And that term pleaded means like a, a gentle entreaty. And it's repeated. He's, he's repeatedly, gently, tenderly entreating him, come inside, come on, come. And now the older son is going to respond to that love and that tenderness with words that had to cut his father to the core, words that were designed to cut into his heart. Verses 29 and 30, but he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Now we see why the older son didn't leave home. And it didn't have anything to do with love for his father. No, he too wished his father would die. It was all about the payday that he could get at the end. That's the only reason he stuck around. He, look, he addresses about look, literally, literally, the sense of it is like, look you, look you. In fact, throughout the entire passage, he never calls his father his father or his brother his brother. Look you, I've been slaving for you all the, it's not about, the, the, he was utterly lacking in love and love for his father. And listen, this is the mark of people who are religious but lost. It's the lack of love. It's the lack of genuine love for God first. When, listen, when genuine conversion has happened, when somebody is truly born again, they're indwelt by the Spirit. What's the first fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. But when people don't have the Holy Spirit, the genuine heart love for God. I'm not talking about checking off the boxes. I'm talking about love. Love for God. That's what happens when people are genuinely saved. There's a genuine love for God and there's a love for the people of God. There's a love for God's people. There's a love for others. Read 1 John. <laughs> you know, if you are truly in Christ, there's gonna be a love for God and a love for his people. But when people are religious but lost, there's just not that. They might be checking off some boxes, but that genuine heart love, that affection. When we're born again, there's a change in our affections. There's a genuine love for the Lord. There's a love for the people of God. We love the things of God. We love the people of God. We wanna be with God's people. And when we're with them, we, we know how to treat people with grace because our lives have been changed by grace. Verses 31 and 32, amazing. Son, he said to him, and the, the word here, technon, it means my, my child. Just, it couldn't be any more tender. 
son, my child, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found again. The father's tenderness and patience and gentleness with this older son who is treating him like this and who has just said these words, these ugly, cutting words to him. But he responds with just this amazing gentleness and tenderness. It's like, look, you're always with me. You're not losing anything. Everything I have is yours. But your brother is back. We had to celebrate. Don't you see? Come on in. Come on in. Come on in and celebrate. You're making yourself an outsider. Come in. The great theologian J.I. Packer, who wrote Knowing God and many other classics, Packer tells about um, the night of his conversion. And um, it was was during his freshman year in college. He was a freshman at Oxford. And uh, that night, some friends had invited him to go to a meeting at St. Aldate's Church, right in the center of Oxford. It was during World War II, the dim out conditions were still in effect. The, the, the windows of the church were still blacked out because of the fear of, of German bombing. But inside, the lights were on. It was ablaze. And before the end of the night, J.I. Packer's heart was going to be ablaze. The speaker that night told a story about a time when he had been at a camp as a teenager. And the camp leader had challenged him and asked him the question, so are you a Christian? And the pastor that night said that, you know, the moment that he asked me that question, I I was dumbstruck because I had grown up, you know, kind of thinking that, you know, well, of course, you know, isn't, aren't, aren't we all? You know, it's kind of a nominal Anglicanism and, you know, they just, something that they just kind of took for granted but, but that he was haunted by that question and he was challenged. This pastor said, I was challenged to ask myself, have I genuinely responded to Jesus? And as J.I. Packer sat there as a freshman in college listening to this, he was riveted because you see, he had entered college just assuming and thinking of himself as a Christian. But in that moment, he came to understand that he was not. He came to understand that he had never personally responded to Christ. And as he sat there listening to this message, it was like the Spirit just gave him this, this, this vision <laughs> that, he was, that he was outside of a house looking in. He's looking in through the window and he can see people inside and he knows these people. And he knows the games that they're playing and he knows the rules of the game and and, and all of that, but he's still on the outside looking in. And it was like God was saying to him, you need to come in. You need to come in. And listen, whether you are 
you feel like your life is a mess and you are far from God, or whether you feel like that you've been maybe inside the church but checking off a lot of boxes without love in your heart, the invitation is the same. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Come just as you are. (laughs) I won't leave you just as you are. But listen, the, the prodigal doesn't have time to, you know, to go clean up before the robe is put on him. No, he just goes to the Father. And the Father takes care of the rest. And wherever you are in life today, you come to him. You take a step toward him and he'll be running towards you. Let's pray together. Father, wherever we are in life today, whether, whether we're here and we need Christ as our Savior, whether we're here as believers and our attitudes have not been right and there's sin that we need to repent of, Lord, we thank you that, you, that we can come. And Lord, we thank you for your heart of grace that receives sinners like us. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.